Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. the following true story. Taylor University is a Christian college in Indiana. Years ago, they were pleased to learn that an African student, Sam, was going to be enrolling in their school. This was before it was commonplace for international students to come to the United States to study. Sam was a bright young man with great promise, and the school felt honored to have him. When he arrived on the campus, the president of the university took him on a tour, showing him all of the dorms. When the tour was over, the president asked Sam where he would like to live. The young man replied, If there is a room that no one wants, give that room to me. The president turned away in tears. Over the years, he had welcomed thousands of Christian men and women to the campus, and none had ever made such a request. If there is a room that no one wants, give that room to me. And that's the kind of selflessness that God desires. If there's a job that no one wants to do, I'll do that job. If there's a kid that no one wants to eat lunch with, I'll eat with that kid. If there's a piece of toast that's burnt, I'll take that piece. If there's a parking space that's far away from the church, I'll park in that space. If there's a service time that's less convenient for people, I'll worship at that service. If there's a hardship someone has to endure, I'll take that hardship. If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, I'll make that sacrifice. As the love of God and the grace of God touches our heart and we grow in becoming more and more like our Savior, that's the type of humble and selfless attitude and actions that will mark our lives and our service. The book of Titus is a book about selfless service and good works done for our Lord after we get saved. It challenges us to be a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done for the Lord in reaching out with the gospel and ministering to the church, the body of Christ. And there's always people that need to be shown His love and His grace. This is a power-packed little epistle that challenges us in many areas of our Christian lives. As we live by its truths, our lives are going to be transformed by God's grace. Titus 1.1 reads, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Titus's name means honorable. Galatians 2 verse 3 tells us that Titus was a Gentile. Paul calls him mine own son, as you see here in verse 4. So we learn that he was saved under the Apostle Paul's ministry. 2 Corinthians 8.23 describes Titus as Paul's partner and fellow helper in the ministry. Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts, but he's mentioned over a dozen times in the Apostle Paul's epistles. From these references, we learn how Paul took Titus to Jerusalem to defend Gentile liberty from circumcision and freedom from the law. Circumcision was required for salvation in previous dispensations, but not under grace. 
Salvation today is by grace through faith alone. And Titus was made a public example of that. He was a living illustration, really, that a change had taken place in God's dealings with mankind. That though he wasn't circumcised according to the law of Moses, Titus was saved, saved by grace through faith alone. Titus had also been sent by Paul to Corinth to minister to the church there, to help them with their various problems and to encourage them to give assistance to the needy at Jerusalem and then to bring Paul a report of the condition of the church. As we come to the book of Titus, we find that Titus had been left on the island of Crete, which is located southeast of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. Titus was left there by Paul to organize and work with its churches, and he was ministering here when Paul wrote this letter. Paul writes him to remind him of his responsibilities and to give him instruction concerning administrative and doctrinal matters in the local church. Crete wasn't an easy place to minister, as you see by the content of the letter. Paul writes how the Cretans were always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. So if you put all of that together between going to Jerusalem to defend liberty from the law to ministering in Corinth and then in Crete, it all shows that Titus was a man of grit and determination and being able to minister in tough places. The first four introductory verses lay the groundwork for the rest of the letter. If you look closely, you'll find that these verses are actually one long compound sentence. The phrases in the sentence reveal important themes that you see later in the letter. It foreshadows the themes of service, authority, hope, grace, doctrine, and godliness. Paul in these verses speaks of his apostolic authority, and the book speaks of church authority and church elders, and later it speaks of governmental authority and magistrates, principalities, and powers, and also of servants obeying their masters. In verse 1, you see Paul speaking of faith and truth. And the letter speaks of the need for sound doctrine because of false doctrine and false teachers which were abounding in Crete. Paul speaks of hope in verse 2. And later he speaks of our blessed hope. He speaks of eternal life. And later he says we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life in chapter 3, verse 7. He says God cannot lie And then he speaks of deceivers and the Cretans who are always liars. Paul speaks of grace and later teaches about the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men and that we are justified by his grace. Paul speaks of mercy and then later he says by God's mercy he saved us. He calls Christ our Savior and later says we look for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul starts the letter by calling himself a servant of God. Now Paul could have pulled out his impressive resume and referred to himself as a scholar and appealed to his accomplishments for Christ. His authorship of many letters, having traveled the known world at that time, planting churches everywhere, facing hardships for Christ and reaching thousands for him. But he didn't. Paul saw No honor in the world greater than bearing the simple title of a servant of God. He found no greater freedom than slavery to him. And he found no greater place to belong 
than to belong to God. The term servant literally speaks of a bondservant. It speaks of one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. And Paul's life was swallowed up and devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and his will was lost in his. A young pastor wrote this of his newfound faith. I'm now a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I belong to Christ. So I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on God's presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is Christ, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear, and God's strength, I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, or deluded. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a follower of Christ. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till He stops me. I'm pressing on for the prize, the high calling of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How'd you like to have a testimony like that? And that's what God desires out of all of us. That was the Apostle Paul's testimony as a servant of God. It's a challenge for all of us to feel that way and to do the same for our Lord and our Savior. This book has much to say about service to the Lord and good works. Before Paul instructs and challenges others to serve the Lord, he shows that he too was a servant of God. And that's a high title for every believer in the body of Christ, to be called a servant of God. It is an absolute privilege for us to be in the service of the true and the living God. Paul was a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a bond slave and a sent one. A sent one is what the word apostle means. In Acts chapter 26, verses 17 and 18, the Lord told Paul at his conversion on the Damascus road these words, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Pastoral Epistles is a hardcover 300-page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm, founder of the Berean Bible Society. This volume is a verse-by-verse exposition of Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. It thoroughly examines the Apostles' description of the form and function of the local church, 
as well as the qualifications that he gives for leadership. The last days of the dispensation of grace are also thoroughly investigated, along with the very message of grace that God's ministers are charged to proclaim. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. As an apostle of Christ, Paul was sent and commissioned by Christ directly on the Damascus Road and had divinely bestowed authority. Paul had authority on the basis of the one who sent him, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Paul's apostleship was absolutely unique. It was separate from Israel's earthly program, distinct from the ministry of the twelve apostles. After Israel's fall and her unbelief, Christ raised up Paul, revealed to him God's heavenly program of today for the church, the body of Christ. Christ made known and committed to Paul the dispensation of the grace of God, which had been hid in the mind of God from eternity past. And he sent him out with authority to proclaim God's grace to the world. Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles. He is our apostle. And it's in his epistles that we find the doctrine, position, walk, and destiny for us, the church, the body of Christ under grace. We see how that Paul's obedience as an apostle flowed from his submission to God as his bondservant. Paul was a bondservant by personal commitment, and he was an apostle by divine appointment. But Paul knew who he was, and he knew what he was supposed to do, what he was called to do. He knew his identity. He knew his purpose in life. And that begs the question, do we? God has equipped each of us with a unique set of gifts and abilities, and He develops them through time, through spiritual growth, through life experiences. He has invested these things in you that you might use them for His honor and glory. Sometimes we need to stop and take inventory how God is working in us so we might consider how He wants us to serve Him and what He wants us to do for Him. Paul knew he was a servant. And he knew he was an apostle, according to the faith of God's elect. The elect are those who have trusted Christ, who have believed the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day. When we believe by the Holy Spirit, we are placed into and joined forever to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Isaiah 42.1 calls the elect. Being in Christ, we too are called the elect. Paul was sent as an apostle according to the faith of those who belong to God in the present dispensation of grace, which is the church, the body of Christ. Paul's mission as God's apostle is to make known and ground believers in the faith, the doctrine for today, and then to grow the church into godliness, as he says, by the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. 
D.L. Moody once said the scriptures were not just given for our information, but for our transformation. Truth is to transform the way we live. Outward behavior reflects inward belief. The truth we believe should lead to godliness in a godly life. How we behave in the Christian life is based on what we believe and what we know from the Word of God. You can't separate doctrine and practice. They, they go together. Our salvation and our position in Christ and all our blessings we have in Him, uh, that's to affect the way we live. We are to live in light of God's abundant grace to us and to allow God to change our thinking, our attitude, our hearts, and our lives as a result of knowing these things. As we live by and we apply Paul's letters and the grace truth that's found within them, our lives are going to be transformed by grace. Godliness has been defined as God-likeness. It's about having our behavior reflect the character and mind of God, reflecting His goodness, His kindness, love, grace, and righteousness. This takes place by living out our lives by the Word of God, where we learn about God and where we grow in Him. One commentator put it well when he said, Godliness is a love for the things of God and a walk in the ways of God. Titus 1-2 reads, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We as believers in Christ have the hope of eternal life. Now, eternity can be hard to grasp sometimes. Dr. Tony Evans says this about eternity. If we were to empty the Pacific Ocean, the largest body of water in the world, we'd be left with a hole that's beyond imagination. If we were then to fill that hole with sand and make a pile as high as Mount Everest, we'd be talking about a lot of sand because Mount Everest is the tallest mountain peak in the world. Since the ocean is fairly deep and Mount Everest is fairly high, we'd have a fairly sizable sand pile. Now, if we had a bird that would take one grain of sand from that sand pile every 100 billion years, how long would it take the bird to finish the sand pile? I don't know that in human language he says that we have such a number. It is probably beyond numerical count. Whatever that number is, when the bird finishes the last grain of sand, you will have been in eternity your first second. It's amazing, isn't it, to think of the hope that we have of eternal life in Christ. And Paul's ministry as a servant and as an apostle and according to the faith and truth that he proclaimed we're all on the basis of the sure hope of eternal life that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul knew that all of his labors, his life and his service for Christ was not in vain. It was not fruitless in light of our sure hope that we have of eternal life. And we too can live our lives for Christ confidently knowing that nothing we ever do for the Lord is ever in vain, 1 Corinthians 15.58 says. We have certainty in what we believe. We know we're going to heaven. The hope Scripture holds out for us is not a hope-so kind of hope, 
Our hope is a complete certainty, a confident expectation. It is a destiny. Godliness is built on that sure hope. And it can and it should accelerate godly living, knowing that we have eternal life. Christianity is not like religion in which people try to live for the Lord, hoping that the good things they do might earn them eternal life in the end. We don't do good works to gain eternal life. We live for Christ because we already have it. We live for the Lord knowing we have the sure hope of eternal life. The grace of that truth drives us to be confident and to live boldly for the Lord and to do even more for Him because He has been so good to us. Eternal life is both a present possession and a future hope. It doesn't just begin when you die. You have it at conversion. The moment you trust Christ as your personal Savior, you have the free gift of eternal life. God is eternal. And having eternal life means that we have been given God's life. Which Colossians 1.27 describes for us as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our future hope of eternal life is in the sense that we confidently look forward to eternal life in its final and victorious form when we'll be in our eternal home in heaven having received our eternal incorruptible, glorified body, dwelling in the presence of Christ forever, forever free from sin, sorrow, suffering, and death. The hope of eternal life is based in God Himself. Our faith is secure by virtue of God's unchanging character and the fact that He cannot lie. God is truth, and He is free from all deceit. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6.18 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. God's character backs up our absolute hope of eternal life. If he said it, it's true. and He cannot lie, and it will happen. From eternity past, before the world began, God promised what he was going to do for those who believed. And God is a promise-keeping God. What He has said, He will do. You can place your soul's eternal destiny in His hands. And you don't need to be anxious about it. You can count on God. And you can count on His unchanging character. On His deathbed, Joshua said, And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. And when we find ourselves in heaven one day, we'll say, the Lord was faithful, faithful to me, faithful to all His promises, and not one thing failed of everything that He promised me. Titus 1, verses 3 to 4 read, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. In verse 3, Paul says that in due times, God's word, in relation to his promise of eternal life, 
for the body of Christ in the dispensation of grace was committed to the Apostle Paul. The word which was committed to Paul is according to the commandment of God our Savior. That is, again, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. This revelation given to Paul reveals how all people everywhere today can receive God's promised eternal life under grace, and that's by faith alone in Christ's finished work. And the revelation given to Paul reveals why all men everywhere can receive eternal life. The basis upon which God gives eternal life to all the saved today, and for that matter for all those of all dispensations, is through Christ's shed blood and His resurrection. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17, Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Paul understood that the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel of grace, the preaching of Christ according to what he's doing today was entrusted to him. And Paul's mission, like ours as ambassadors for Christ, is to get the gospel out, to get the message out, to beseech all people everywhere to be reconciled to God before it's too late, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Paul addresses his letter to Titus, my own son after the common faith. you got to think about this here. That here you have Paul, a Jew, writing to Titus, a Gentile, looked at by Paul as one in a common faith. And this common faith is the body of truth which reveals the joining of Jew and Gentile in one body by the cross. And that there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile today. This common faith is the truth of the mystery and the gospel of the grace of God revealed to Paul under which both Paul and Titus were saved. By this common faith, they had the same Savior. They had the same indwelling Holy Spirit, the same eternal life, the same imputed righteousness, the same hope of heaven. They and all in the body of Christ are one in Christ by a common faith. Through this common faith, we learn, as verse 4 says, that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior are declaring in revealing grace, mercy, and peace to this world, giving all people an opportunity to be saved by grace alone. Judgment and wrath are coming to this world in the tribulation period following the catching away of the church, the body of Christ. But today in the dispensation of grace, God is offering the opposite of judgment and wrath, offering grace and peace to all in this world. He offers grace and peace to both sinners and saints, To sinners, God in His grace and peace offers salvation to all. To His saints, God offers grace, mercy, and peace as a way of life for all of us to live in, enjoy, and grow in. As we do so, by His Word, we'll be transformed by grace. Thank you for watching this episode of Transformed by Grace. Join us next time when we'll continue our series through the book of Titus. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.